Amen and amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Micah chapter 6. I have been told that since we have gained an hour, that means I have an extra hour to preach. And Micah 6, we may need it. So, you know, buckle in, get comfy, hope you brought a sack lunch. But as we come to Micah 6, there is truly a world of depth to what God is speaking to the Israelites of the day, but also to what he is speaking towards our hearts. As we have come up on Micah 6, we have already seen a word of repentance, a message of repentance given to Israel and saw the word of warning that comes with that, but also the word of hope that comes through that. That if we will turn from our wicked ways, if we'll turn from the direction we're going and follow him, that there is blessing ahead, that there is, there is all of eternity, but there is also life abundantly in the here and now. As we come to Micah chapter 6, we kind of get that whole message wrapped into one, a message of repentance with both a word of warning and a word of hope. And so my prayer is this morning as we read Micah 6, the word of God, as we go through it step by step, that we ourselves would look into the mirror that is God's word and that we would ask ourselves, Lord, where am I? Where am I in all of this? And that we would respond. If you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. We will be reading all of chapter 6. And so if in the middle of that you need to, to have a seat, perfectly understandable, but let us hear from him. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. I can, can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is accursed, 
Shall I quit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their own mouth. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hungry within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, we have, we have proclaimed already this morning your grace. We have proclaimed your love for us. We have proclaimed how you heal. We have proclaimed how you have blessed and done good. We have proclaimed that you have sought us out when we have ran from you. Father, we pray this morning that those things would be real in our hearts, that they would not just be things that come out of our mouths, but Lord, that, that I would understand in the depths of my soul what you have done for me, that I would have a taste of your grace and your love that is beyond understanding, that it would change me, that it would change us. Father, let us hear well this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As God addresses the people of Israel in Micah chapter 6, he starts out by saying that he has an indictment, or as I've put it on the slide, that there is an accusation that God has against Israel. He is coming to them, and, and the picture is kind of like the picture of a trial, of a judge and a jury, of a prosecuting attorney and the defendant, and the, attorney, the prosecuting attorney is declaring the charges against the people of Israel and helping us to understand what they have done and, and the weight of what has happened. The accusation that God brings is that Israel had violated their covenant with him. That they had violated an agreement. We, uh, we today, we, we don't use the word covenant a lot, but probably the best picture of a covenant that we have in our society, in our culture, and truly, as I've talked about with a couple of members this, this week, the picture that we see even in Scripture from beginning to end is that a, the covenant of marriage. When a man and a woman come together and they make promises to one another. They agree to, to be with one another until death separates them, to support one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to encourage one another, to celebrate with one another, to mourn with one another. And there's covenants, there's promises that each side vows, that each side makes before the Lord in that covenant. And God says, in fact, we see it in Ephesians, God says that marriage covenant is meant to be a picture of the relationship that God desires to have with his people 
on this side of the cross with the church, but even on the other side before the cross with his people in Israel. And God's always been a God of covenants. We see a covenant with Adam. We see a covenant with Abraham and with Moses and with David. And we see the New Testament covenant that comes about because of Jesus Christ. God stands before Israel and says, you have broken the covenant. So it's probably important if we're going to understand exactly what is happening here that we go back and look at least a couple of these covenants so we have a better understanding of what's going on. What covenant is he referring to? Why is he proclaiming that these folks have gone away from him? If you want, please turn to Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, we have the covenant that God begins with Abraham. Chapter 15, we're going to start reading in verse 12. He's speaking, he has brought Abraham already out of his own land, and God is having a discussion with Abraham, and he's making, he's making some agreements. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age." Then they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And then going over to chapter 17, when, Abraham, when Abram, his name hadn't been changed yet, it's about to be. When Abram was 99 years old, the, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you. And I may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and you will, I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So in the first covenant, the covenant with Abraham, there's actually a covenant with Adam as well, but the first covenant that we're looking at today God looks at Abraham as a representative of his entire offspring, and God says, I want to be your God. I am choosing you and the children after you, and I am going to take care of them. I'm going to rescue them from slavery in the future, and I'm going to bring them back to this place and give them a land and give them a home. By the way, if you want to understand bits and pieces of what is going on in the Middle East right now, go back and read Genesis. There's a lot of groundwork that gets laid there. He says, I'm going to give you a land, and it's going to be your land forever. You just walk right in front of me. Abraham does that. Large part, Abraham's not perfect, but in large part, Abraham walks well before the Lord, and the Lord does exactly what he promised. In fact, excuse me, in fact, when you go to Micah 6, he says, didn't I bring you out of Egypt? Didn't I carry you through? Didn't I do all this thing? I have upheld my end of the covenant, 
He says, what have I done to you? So we have the covenant with Abraham. We also have the Mosaic covenant. Exodus 24, 3 through 8. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. When he's talking about rules here, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the law that we see in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He says, he brought to them all the rules and all the people answered with one voice. All the words of the, that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And 12 pillars according to 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And then the other, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So we see now Several hundred years later, Moses at the base of Mount Sinai, and he has the law of God, and he says, okay, if we're going to continue to follow God, this is what it looks like. This is, the, this is obedience to him. And the people of Israel, with Moses as the representative, say, yes, that's what we want to do. They make a covenant. They willingly participate, and they say, that's exactly what we want to do. Joshua, at the end of his book, reaffirms this covenant. He has the people stand before him. And you might remember the line, as for me and my family, we choose the Lord, okay? That, that line is a reaffirmation of the covenant. And he, he tells the people, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to follow God? Because if you follow him well, you're going to experience blessings like you never have before. But if you don't, there's consequence. Are you sure you want to do this? Kind of like I, I kind of have this picture of Melissa's family standing in front of her on her wedding day and going, are you sure you want to do this? Okay? Now she's locked in. Okay? But at that moment, right, Joshua is like, are you positive that you want to do this? Because I know you people, you're stubborn and you get distracted easily and there, there is potential for problem here. Are you sure you want to do this? And the people of Israel say, yes, we want to do it. And God does indeed bless them. They see wonderful things happen in their midst because of this agreement that they've made. And it is a good marriage. Sadly, it's not one that stays good. Sadly, the people of Israel walk away. That's what we see in Micah chapter 6. What we see is God say to them, what have I done to you? Didn't I hold, with, hold up my end? Haven't I loved you well? Haven't I showed grace to you well? Haven't I, haven't I done all that I've promised and more? And yet you've walked away. We see there in chapter, going back to Micah chapter 6 verse 9, we see God begin to lay out what they had done. How had they broken the covenant and what the consequence was? We see that there's deceit. It says, The voice of the Lord decries in the city, and, is, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear, the, hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. And then he begins to talk about what has happened. He says, Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? Going down to verse 11, he says, Shall I acquit? Shall I declare innocent the man 
with wicked scales and a bag of deceitful weights. He goes down a little farther. He says, your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. He says, to begin with, you've become a deceitful people. You lie, you steal, you cheat from one another. People that are supposed to be your friends, people that are supposed to be your brothers, you steal from them. You take things from them. You're dishonest with them. Because not only is there deceit, but there's violence. We skipped over this line just a second ago, but he says um, there in verse 12, your rich men are full of violence. The idea being there that if the rich men are violent, then how much more are the people that are below them on the economic scale? That the violence is not just in the rich people. The idea is that it, the violence of the society have, has permeated all the way through. So they're deceitful. They're violent. And he says they will follow idols. There at the end of in verse 16, it says, For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. These two gentlemen, if to use that term loosely, led Israel as kings in the wrong direction. These guys closed the doors of the temple. They, they shut down the worship of the one true God. They did unspeakable things in just everyday activities, but they also, they also led the people in idol worship. They led them to the mountains where the idols were. They led them to the valleys where the altars were. They led them to sacrifice to wooden images that had no power and, and had been made by the hands of men. And they said, these are your gods. You worship them. And they sacrificed things there, even to the point of sacrificing his own children. Ahab sacrificed his own children at the altars of these idols. Remember that. Tuck that away just for a moment. As horrific as that is, I need you to, to hold on to that for just a little bit. God says, you followed these guys. None of you stood up and said, what are you doing? You followed them and you continue to follow them. And so he responds with the consequence of destruction. He says there, I will strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. The words of Joshua come to fulfillment here. Joshua had warned them, if you follow him, understand that it's all or nothing. And Israel had walked away. They had been an adulterous wife. They had been a wife who prostituted herself to other gods. And now the consequence comes. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. In the midst of that, you'll notice that we skipped over a section though. Micah looks and, and declares before, by the word of God that Israel has left God, that they have broken the marriage covenant between him and his people. And now the consequence is coming. And in the middle of this, there is a word. It says, in, starting in verse 6, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? In essence, they are asking, how can people be forgiven? How can people be forgiven? The sad, thing, the sad thing here, though, is that 
we're going to see here in just a moment that they don't really desire forgiveness. They just desire to live their own way without any consequence. I, don't, I, don't, I know that that's not you, but that has been me in my life. There have been times in my life when I ask for forgiveness, but it's not because I truly want to, to change. It's not because I want to do anything different. It's just because I don't want to deal with the consequence of what I've been caught doing. And so I ask for forgiveness, but it's on my terms. I ask for forgiveness without any desire to change or to even restore the relationship maybe that I'd broken. I just don't want to deal with the consequences. Please don't call Lisa at this point, okay? My sister could tell you some stories. But that's what these people are doing. They're coming to God. They're asking the question, how can I walk into the presence of the Lord? How can I be forgiven? The idea of how can we avoid these consequences? But we're going to see that it's not because they know him. It's not because they want to know him. They start with bargaining with God. That's really the question. What is it going to take? God, what's it going to take for you to look the other way? What's it going to take for you to postpone this punishment? What's it going to take for you to remove the consequence? What's it going to take for me to be able just to live how I want to live? And what we see them do next is go through ever-increasing levels of sacrifice, or as one commentator puts it, as different prices of admission into God's grace. And they start with what they know. You'll notice they start here. He says, shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? What they're starting with is the Mosaic law. They're saying, hey, we know Moses wanted us to do this and that the sacrifice for sin, the sacrifice for restoration was a burnt offering and we're going to offer the biggest offering we could. We're going to offer a calf. Surely that's good enough. Surely that gets us back in God's graces. Notice here that there is no immediate response from God. Notice they say, can we bring a calf? Is that good enough? And the response is silence. I don't know about you, but I hated it when mom and dad did that. Like I would come and I'd be like, mom, what if I did this? What if I did this to make up? Dad, what if I did this to make up for the, the way that I've screwed up? And if there was silence, I know I missed the bar by so much it didn't deserve a response. And that terrified me. He said, can we do a one-year-old calf? Will that be good? No response. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Okay, let's go from just a calf. Let's go to everything. All, all of this stuff, all of the rams, all of the olive oil, we're going to give it all. We're going we're gonna to set up the temple forever. Like, they're never going to run out of sacrifices. What if we do all that? Silence. So they've played out, they played out the Mosaic Law, right? They've tried to go that path, and they've not heard anything. So look at what they do. This is the this is probably the clear picture that they don't know God and that they don't really want to know him. They go to what the world says. 
The last bargaining chip they have, they say, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body? For the sin of my soul? What do they turn to when they hear silence and they realize that the burnt offerings aren't going to be enough? What they turn to is what the rest of the world says. Remember what I said that Ahab did in times of evil? That he sacrificed his own kid? They presume upon God that he would take something that a wooden block would take. And they think that's going to be enough. They offer to God that which he abhors. Thinking that somehow that will earn them favor. People do it all the time. We, we desire for our way. We desire for our thing. We desire for us to live the way we want to live. But we don't want to live with the consequence. So we begin to offer and to bargain. Lord, will you take this? Will you take this? Will you take this? And when we run out of the things that are the good church answers, then we turn to that which the world says. And what we find is that it is not enough. Because you can't buy his grace. You can't buy his mercy. You can't buy his love. It's like the one who has been unfaithful and they return to their partner and they say, what can I do? What can I do to make this right? And they're like, what about this? What about this? What about this? What if I give this up? What if I give this up? And the person that has been faithful, the faithful partner looks at them and says, I don't want your stuff. I want you. I don't want your stuff. Keep your money. Keep, keep your time. Keep, keep all of that. I want you. I've always wanted you. It's why I married you. It's why I made vows to you. It's why I've sacrificed for you. It's why I've encouraged you. It's why I've loved you. Because you are what I want. Notice the prophet responds on God's behalf. He said, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? He wants you. He wants you to follow him, to be more like him. By the way, this is from Deuteronomy chapter 10. Starting in verse 12, it says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord has set his heart in love with your fathers and to choose their offspring after them. And you above all peoples as, as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods. And the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe, he is just. He executes justice for the fatherless, the widow. He loves the sojourner, in other words, the foreigner, 
giving him food and clothing, loving the sojourner, therefore, for you, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name shall you swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. He wants you. He's the... Lord of lords, he's the king of kings, he's the maker of all of heaven and earth. All that we've experienced and all that we ever will experience is his, and yet he has set his heart upon you, upon you, to the point of sacrificing himself upon the cross to pay for our mistakes. He wants you, and he wants you to follow him. Injustice. Notice, you'll notice that the three things that are described here, justice, kindness, humility, that they are in opposition to the three things that we see at the end of the chapter. Justice, opposing deceit, kindness, opposing violence, humility, which is the idea of faithfulness and obedience, opposing idolatry. He desires for us to follow these three things. They are what the people of God look like. When the world looks upon us, they should know us for justice. What that means, by the way, and we see it in Deuteronomy, it means speaking for those who have no voice. For the orphan, for the widow, for the foreigner in our land. We desire justice for them. We desire kindness, hospitality, towards one another, they should look at us and go, those people know how to love well. He wants humility. Notice there in Deuteronomy, he says, circumcise your heart, cut away what shouldn't be there, and stop being stubborn. Just follow me. I know what's good for you. I know what's good for you. Follow me, trust me. Notice Most of all, all of these are responses to grace. They are not means to grace. They are responses to grace, not means to grace. God gives you grace and then the justice, the kindness, the humility, the faithfulness, the obedience, it pours out of you. Not that you do these things and then somehow earn his righteousness. We see a picture of this. Last passage that I'll share with you today, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is sharing towards the end of his ministry, and he says there's coming a day when the king is going to come, and he will separate the goats from the sheep on the left and the right. In other words, those that have been saved and those that will not. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you weakened me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You had justice and kindness and humility. 
And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when, we, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then the reverse happens with those that have never known him. He says, you never did these things. And they say, when did we have the chance? And his response is, you had the chance all around you. But you didn't know me well enough to know that that's what I love. That's what I desire. It's easy for us to look at these things. It's easy for us to look at these things and maybe log this away as something that God is saying to Israel. But in doing so, we forget that we are under a new covenant bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus has fulfilled the covenants of old. He's fulfilled the covenant of old. The, the covenant of Adam is complete through Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life. The covenant of Abraham is complete in Jesus Christ who walked perfectly and righteous before him. The covenant of Moses is complete in Jesus Christ because he never broke the law one, once. And yet he pays for the sins of all the covenant of David is complete in Jesus Christ because he is of the line of David. He is his heir to the throne and he will sit on it forever and ever. He, he fulfills the covenant of old and he establishes a new one. He's established a new one by his own blood, by being the representative for humanity. It is the covenant that was prophesied in the prophets. You heard earlier Jeremiah 31 I'm not going to read that again, but Jeremiah speaks of the new covenant that is coming, that one day there will be no need for a priesthood because men will be able to come to God on their own, that he will dwell with them, that they will know his law in their hearts and they will follow him, that it will be for all people. It is fulfilled in the cross, Luke 22, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This new covenant that he now gives. That if you will come and you will trust him, that his blood takes away all of your sin. That that is how you find grace. It is offered to us, this new covenant is offered to us, to us through Jesus Christ, the person who stands before every individual who has ever lived and says, will you follow me? John the Baptist puts it very, very well in John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. Pretty simple. Do we believe in his word? Do we believe in him? Do we obey him? I've read this lots of times, but I was listening to a friend of mine preach, and he here recently he said, all, obe all disobedience towards God is a lack of trust. You don't believe that he's right. You don't trust him that he's right. You don't trust him that he can come through. You don't trust him that there are consequences. Do you obey? Do you believe and obey? Friend, if you're here and you have never, ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
You've never had that moment where you've asked him to forgive you of your sin, of, of walking away from him, of shunning the one who made you and saying, I can do it better. If you've never asked him to forgive you, if you've never made a commitment, I want to follow you today. Today, he stands before you and says, will you accept life? Will you do that today? Believer, this morning, don't check out on me. Listen, he stands before us and says, repent. He stood before Israel, his people, and he says, repent. Because it is easy for us on this side of heaven to get distracted. Easy for us to have other passions and other desires before him. Easy for us to allow sin to creep in our lives and for us to allow to remain it. Even though he speaks to it, we've heard it from sermon to sermon, from Sunday school to Sunday school, from Wednesday night Bible study to Wednesday night Bible study. Stop doing that. And we say, eh, it's okay. And God says, then we're not moving on. We put idols in our own life. Even for us that have proclaimed his goodness, we have other passions and other desires that have taken first place instead of him. Friend, you desire revival then we must desire repentance. I'm going to have the praise team come back up. We're going to do something just a little bit different this morning. They're going to come up and they're going to sing a song over you. But we're going to remove as many distractions as we can this morning. I'm going to ask that you remain seated where you're at. Don't sing along. Just allow the words that we have heard from Micah, allow the words that, that these, these folks are going to sing over you. Allow them to penetrate your heart and just ask the Lord, where am I? And then you respond. Maybe it's to come find me. Maybe it's to come find somebody else that, that you need to talk to about the relationship. Maybe it's that you need to, to ask him to come and to be your Savior right where you're sitting. Maybe it's to repent there. Maybe it's to come to this altar. There's nothing special about this space. But there is something symbolic about coming before God and saying, I know that I need you more than anything. I know that I need to leave this sin here. I know that I need to leave this weight here. I know that I need to leave this trial here with you. Lord, help me. So I'm going to pray. They're going to sing. You respond. Don't worry about standing right now. Don't worry about singing right now. Just allow him to speak and you respond. Father, we come before you. And Father, we all have things. We all have things that we hope no one finds out about. We all have things in our life right now that we are being stubborn about. Lord, sin in our life that, that is there, that is that we have allowed to, to dwell with us, that we have said it doesn't hurt anybody. Lord, that there are maybe for some of us idols in our life that we have allowed to take precedence over you, that we've put you in the, in the back seat. Father, I pray this morning, I pray that we would, that we would understand the way that we have grieved you. And that we would repent. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. But that we would ask you for forgiveness and desire to follow you. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen.